Well, I am very glad you're with us today. I hope my remarks for this second Sunday of the year will be an encouragement. I pray that they will help us to look forward not only to today, but tomorrow and the days and weeks ahead. And I begin, I begin with some thoughts as I listened to two preachers yesterday. Uh, as I was doing some chores around the house, I had my phone playing and streaming a couple of lessons. It got me to thinking about them. And that is to say, you know, we see a lot of changes in our world. Uh, the changes that we are experiencing, um, I think every generation goes through some of those issues that they wonder, well, what's going on with this new generation, this younger generation? And I think that's only natural. I think it is something that, uh, well, it causes to to ponder and to think about what have we done, what have we failed to do, to instill certain values within our children, our nation, our world. I remember historically when World War I was fought, that they formed the League of Nations because they didn't want to have another one of those wars ever again. But it wasn't very many years later that we had another world war. Uh, we had one in Europe, it was the European theater with Germany and Italy. And then we had one in the Pacific theater with Japan. The whole world was brought into war. We ask ourselves why. Why did the League of Nations fail? Why has the United Nations failed? Well, I think it's because people in general aren't going to change very easily unless they have a motivation to change. And I get to that point to say this. At one time, Churches of Christ were the fastest growing religious group in the United States. Men came back from World War II, came back after seeing Nations and people that were didn't have the gospel of Christ were not Christians, and they made it a purpose after the war of saying they wanted to prepare themselves to go back to some of those countries. And so we had a large mission effort. We had a lot of people who were concerned, and they would talk to their friends and their neighbors about the gospel of Christ. So the church grew. I don't know all the dynamics of that church growth. But I do know if we look to the scriptures, we can find what God wants us to do. And we can find the motivation. And I think the motivation is found in the life of Jesus. And I just want to talk briefly about that today. But before I get to the New Testament, I want you to reflect on the people of God throughout the ages, especially in the Old Testament, if you will. We know that when God called Moses to go in and call his people out of Egypt, that's exactly what he did. And it was with a series of plagues upon Egypt. Now, the first of the ten plagues that were on Egypt, they were also, the first three, were on Israel. And I wonder why they were up on Israel and Egypt as well. And I got to thinking about it, it is so that they would learn God's power. 
occupancy of all of the land, Egyptians and Jews alike, were placed under a plague, well then, God's powerful. But when he can make a distinction between the two people, God is even more powerful. And God was making a spectacle, if you will, of the Egyptian gods. He was showing that he was more powerful than all of them, even up until the time of the death of the firstborn, including Pharaoh's own son. And Pharaoh, as you'd recall, was considered to be one of the gods of Egypt. And if God could touch him and his household, he could touch anyone. But it didn't take them long after they fled from Egypt, after plundering Egypt, they get to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's had a change of heart after saying, get out of my land. He's going after them to destroy them. They're trapped. Pharaoh's army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them. And now they're wondering how you just brought us out to be destroyed by Pharaoh, Moses. Well, no, he hadn't done that. But it makes me think about how quickly they forgot what God had done for them. And could he not do even greater things? And, of course, we know he did. And I think all of the failures in in Israel were because they took a time and they forgot. Because they just wouldn't look to what had been happening within them. I wonder about those when they went into the promised land with the 12 spies. Ten of them said, we can't do that. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. Caleb and Joshua, of course, said, no, we can do this. God is for us. They remembered the stories. They remembered what God had done, and they were not afraid. They were courageous in God. But the people listened to the ten and not the two. So God condemned them and said, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. None of you who are alive over the age of 20 are going to go into the promised land. But then there arose a generation that was in the wilderness wanderings, heard all the stories, probably heard the laments of their parents for not trusting and believing in God. They went into the promised land and they took Jericho and they took other cities and God was with them. But maybe they didn't do it as fully as they should have in casting out all of the people from the land because some were still a thorn in their flesh and would do so. But throughout the history of Israel, They always had problems, and it always seems to me that they either didn't remember or they didn't have confidence that God could do what he said he would do. And I think that's what it is today. We have to somehow instill in ourselves and in those whom we teach a confidence that God is able, that he hears us. We just concluded our study in Matthew's gospel, and the very last verse, verse 20 And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He's with us. We have to believe that. But now as we move into the New Testament, I've had a bit of review there. And if you reflect on the Bible in general, we don't know too much of the stories of those men and women of the Bible who we call the heroes of faith of their childhood. In fact, Charles Swindoll has written, while the Gospels don't tell us all we'd like to know about the childhood of Jesus, we actually have more information about his early years than any other person in the Bible. There's not much written, but we have more about Jesus than anyone else. Um, 
Luke writes for us the accounts of Anna and Simeon who awaited the coming of Jesus to the temple. And then right from there, we have, we have, so if you will, the birth of Jesus announced to the shepherds. We have his circumcision at the temple on the eighth day. We have Anna who was there. We have Simon who was there or Simeon who was there. And then jumps to the 12th year of Jesus' life. Well, Jesus' parents had taken him to Jerusalem for the Passover because Jewish law required men to make the journey to Jerusalem for the Passover. And families would often make this journey together. And this was about a three to four day uh, trip from Galilee. A commentator by the name of Craddock says, Jesus was a true Israelite. From birth brought up in the moral and ritual life of Judaism, home, temple, synagogue formed him. You think about that. Traveling in this large caravan of family up to Jerusalem for the Passover. It was a joyous time, a wonderful time of anticipation for a great celebration. But the festival is over. Luke chapter 2 and verse 43 is where we'll begin for today. Luke chapter 2 and verse 43. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Well, I have to think about this, and we just had Christmas, and there are all sorts. I don't know what your favorite Christmas movie is, but one movie that was popular several years ago is Home Alone. Story of a family who is, has this big celebration trip planned to Paris, I think it is, to Europe, and the family's all together, and the tickets are purchased, but there's Kevin, and he is an ordinary kid, and he's causing problems to his siblings and his parents and aunts and uncles. And he finally is disciplined. He go to your room for a while. And he goes up there and stays. And in the hustle and bustle, you know the story if you've seen the movie, he's left behind. He's home alone now. And they get to the airport. They're on the plane, and they don't know where Kevin is. So they land. I think it's in Paris. And they're all frantic. The mother, everyone's frantic. What's going on here? And that's the story of Kevin being home alone over Christmas. And that's what happened in a sense to Jesus at the Passover here. And the hustle and bustle, the family and acquaintances were all together. Mary thinks he's with Joseph. Joseph thinks he's with Mary. Somebody thinks he's with an uncle, an aunt, somebody of cousins, and everything is busy. They look for him, and then they can't find him. They're concerned, obviously. It says, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. Then after three days, you know their anxiety levels were about off the charts at this point in time. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. You know, he's been gone a day that we're okay because they didn't know. 
He's missing, and now they're looking for him. And three days later, they find him. I imagine they were very, very anxious. And Mary's words were right on point. But Jesus said in verse 49, and this is where I think we catch the beginning of what motivated Jesus and should motivate us. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Now, the King James Version says, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And literally, the word would be probably better translated affairs. So the King James Version is probably closer to what this means in translating it house. My father's affairs. You see, that's what motivated Jesus. He was so concerned about life from a young age, about being about his father's affairs, his business, that he stayed behind in Jerusalem, there in the temple, listening to the teachers, asking them questions, amazing the people at his understanding and his answers. But you see, his family wasn't there to witness all of that. And Jesus said, I came for a purpose. Now, Mary in her heart knew some of these things, though she probably couldn't fully comprehend exactly what that meant. But Jesus' motivation was to be about his father's affairs, his father's business. Now, we further learn about this in his life. So turn with me, if you would, please, to the Gospel of John in John chapter 4. And as you're turning to John chapter 4, and we know this passage. But I want you to think about, have you ever been hungry? Really hungry? Maybe, maybe you're on vacation. And you've been in the car for a while driving. And you just hadn't found a place to turn off and eat. To take a break. And you didn't have anything with you. And you're getting hungry. Or maybe you're working pretty hard out and you forgot your lunch. And now you're hungry. Well, it says here in John chapter 4 that Jesus had gone off and they were in the city of Samaria, verse 5, a place called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was about 6 p.m. Jewish time, uh, or Roman time, excuse me, it had been about noon on Jewish time, uh, the calendar, the way they looked at time from sundown to sunrise. Jesus has been busy. He's weary from his journey. And it says in verse 7, now his disciples had left. It tells us in verse 8, his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. But in verse 7, there came a woman from Samaria, from a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And so we know his disciples are away. Jesus is weary. and He just asked for a drink of water. And that engages them in a long conversation about living water. Because he says, those who drink of this water will thirst, but the Water I give him, he shall never thirst. I will give him, it will become a well of water springing up to eternal life. Verse 14. And this woman wanted that water. She didn't want to come down to this well all the time. 
that kind of sets the stage for some of the thoughts that I want you to catch from this. He's there having this long conversation with her. And we're not going to get into the nature of all that conversation. But I want you to know that it's there and he's doing what God wants. He's talking to this woman because, and I say that to say this, as we get to verse 30, the disciples come back to him. 31. Meanwhile, chapter 4, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Hmm. They were perplexed. They left him by this well, weary, and said, we'll go into town and get something to eat, and we'll come right back. And he tells them, I have food to eat you don't know about. I mean, what would you be thinking? Does he have something under his cloak he didn't want to share with us? Did he have a bag with some food in it? Did somebody bring him some food? Uh, and that's what they were saying. So the disciples, John writes, verse 32, were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? I mean, they were going through try all these questions because they had gone off to get food. Now he says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And Jesus just answered them and said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. There are some things that will take away maybe those pangs of hunger. Uh, Kathy and I, a friend told me about a show that he watched, and, and we watched a couple of the shows. Uh, titled alone, uh, streamed the first one from Netflix and uh, the second one on Amazon Prime, and that's irrelevant. But it's the story of some people. It's a reality contest. The winners are going to get a big pile of money. But the one that we watched most recently and concluded was done with couples. Uh, one was a husband and wife. Some were brothers. One was a father and son. Uh, they were various ages, and they were placed on, a, on Vancouver Island in a wilderness. One of the two had to hike 10 miles to get to their partner. And they're going through it, and it took them maybe 10 days to cross 10 miles of this rugged forest terrain on Vancouver Island. And of course, they went through. They had no food. It was a survival show. They had to live off the land. They had limited equipment that they could take with them. And so, you know, if you're there alone on the beach as their partner was left, doing all sorts of whatever they could do, preparing the campsite for the return of their partner, trying to find some food to live on and maybe build up some food stores, you know, they've come to a time they're getting hungry. They hadn't eaten for a couple of days, maybe. They're okay physically, but they're, they're starting to hurt just a little bit. But the hunger goes away when they finally meet up with their partner. The husband comes to the wife and forget the food. Yeah, are they hungry? Yes. But it's the joy of being together that really, really got them. And what Jesus is saying here and where I see a parallel in this is he had the opportunity to share with this Samaritan woman. To share with her spiritual things that would be far more beneficial to her than water or food and takes his mind off his weariness, takes his mind off his hunger. And he says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. 
My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. So Jesus' motivation throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, was to be about his father's business, his father's affairs. His work was his food, what the father had given to him. And so in John chapter 17, this is what we find out about the life of Christ. He says in John chapter 17, the following. I'm going to start in verse 1 and just get some of the context. We'll read through about verse uh, 7. Jesus spoke these. This is his prayer, by the way, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Soon Judas will. Judas has already betrayed him. And soon Judas and the band from the chief priests and the Sanhedrin council with the Roman, with the soldiers, they're going to come and arrest him. So Jesus in that prayer in the garden says, it says, John writes, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all who you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Think about that. In verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. How? Because I did the work that you set out for me. I've accomplished the work which you gave me. Luke chapter 2, a young boy of 12 years old, did you not know that I had to be about my father's affairs? John chapter 4, the woman at the well. I have food you don't know about. My food is to do the work of my father. He says, I've accomplished that, Father. I've done the work that you've given me. I've glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work you've given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to whom men, to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. They have come to know everything you have given me is from you. He says, Father, I've, I've accomplished your work. I've been about your task from the very beginning. When I was 12 years old in the temple, I was about your affairs. When I was weary and talking to a woman at a well, I forgot that weariness and the thirst when I spoke to her the words of life. The disciples didn't understand it then, but they are moving to understand it now. As Jesus in his prayer says, I've accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And by accomplishing that work, I've glorified you on the earth. Now, in actuality, the, Jesus is looking forward to that full accomplishment in just a few days, a few hours, literally, when it will truly be accomplished. He's saying it as it's already occurred because he's gone through everything so much and the commitment is there. There's no turning back. He's prayed in that garden three times. Let this cup pass, but not my will, but your will be done. And so as we close out today's lesson, what happens next is we turn to John chapter 19, when it was accomplished. And Jesus said in John chapter 19 and verse 30, 
He's on the cross. Well, I'll pick it up in verse 28, by the way. He's on the cross. He's been scourged. He's been nailed to the cross. He's hung there. That's almost six hours now. They've divided his garments. He's then turned to John and said, Behold your mother, verse 27. And after this, verse 28, knowing that he had, that all things had already been accomplished, he's done God's will. He's fulfilled scripture, it says. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He is over. He had died on the cross for you and me. So how do I tie all this together for us in this, as we close this lesson out today? The motivation that Jesus had has to be the motivation that we have. We have to be about our father's affairs. Well, read, we have families, we have this and we have that. I know. But that's part of our affairs in God, is that we want to teach our children. We want to teach our neighbors. That's being about the father's affairs. And when you're engaged in those spiritual conversations, whether it be family, whether it be friends, whether it be a, a, uh, an acquaintance, you forget some of the mundane things of life. You forget hunger, and you may forget thirst for a while. I know when Kathy and I were in Kenya many years ago, after two hours of Bible study, I finally got a chance to take a breath. And uh, all I could say was, I'm thirsty. You know, but for two hours, I had ignored some of those signals from my body. I just totally ignored them. But when I got to a place to stop, it hit me. And it was fruitful, though. We baptized at least two men that day and two the next. And it was a wonderful time. When you're about the Father's affairs, time almost stands still. And human emotions stand still. Human physical needs stand still. They take a back seat because your mind is on something else. Jesus was about his Father's affairs. His food, his will, was to do whatever was God's work that he had given to him. And so some of those human things just passed. And then he was able to say, I have I've glorified you because I've accomplished what you've given me. And won't it be great as our life draws to a close to be able to say, Lord, I have tried to glorify you in all of my life. Every day of my life. I believe I've glorified you with a life of faithfulness, a life of reaching out, doing what you would have me to do. I've accomplished the work that you've given to me. And then at the end on that last day, hopefully we have the strength of breath to say, Father, it is finished. I'm ready to come home. And we'll pass from this life into life forever with God. I think that's the motivation of Jesus, and that's the motivation that you and I must have this year and every year. We're going to accomplish the work that Jesus has given, that God has given to us. We have to focus on it. We have to let the example of Jesus, of his motivation, motivate us. So let's purpose to do that. This is the second Sunday of the year. One week has already gone down. 
And now we look forward to it week after week. And the year will pass quickly and we'll be focused on the word of God and the work of God. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the day that you've given to us. I thank you, Father, for these words that uh, you put on my heart. And Father, I just pray that we can live up to them. I pray, Father, for our congregation that you would open up to us our eyes in ways that we can reach out to the world. So, Father, you've given us the work. Let us be about your affairs. Bless us as we do so, Father. Bless us this day. In Jesus' name, amen.